0: 42. This will be lesson number eight of our Is It Well With Your Soul um, series. I'm actually going to ask Jordan and Justin to be ready at the end. We're going to sing that song again, okay? So at the close of the lesson, we'll sing it again. Um, Sometimes I think that we get in such a mode when we come into church of that, well, I'm here, like done my part, um, that we don't always stop and actually figure out what is happening. Um, when you sing the song, as the deer panteth after the water brook, what it's basically saying is that even if you're not there yet, let's think about how to get there. Um, there one of the phrases that were, are in, was in that song, something we're actually gonna close with today. And so we've been in Psalm 42, which is the, really the, the verse that talks about the song that we've just sung. But I want us to actually get to a point to where church matters. Um, You know, everyone's complaining right now about, well, like church isn't what it was, church isn't what, and sometimes I think that we so miss out on what it was that we forget to focus on what it could be. Um, I'll just be honest with you. If it takes having breakfast and a cup of coffee to get you to come to church, probably not going to withstand much persecution when it comes down the line. Um, if it takes a rah rah re, let's go have fun, and oh, let's, okay, that's one of the byproducts of church. Do you realize that the church in the book of Acts wasn't having a lot of great fun activities? They were focused on the preaching of the word. They were focused on discipling people. They were focused on sharing the gospel with those around them, and really everything else is a byproduct of that. And one of the things that I think that that 2020 has offered us an opportunity, if we'll take advantage of it, is to step back and actually be focused on what matters at church. Um, Some of you who teach in classes, that's exhausting. Um, Some of you who help out in the nursery and you do some of those things, that has slowed down a little bit. And so, how have you taken advantage of that when you walk in these doors? And so, not really applicable to what we're going to talk about, but it's hopefully helpful. And so, we're going to be in Psalm 42, um, one more week. And then, um, we'll actually close next week with what I'm going to call a little bit of a soul evaluation. Um, I think that sometimes we can sit and we can listen. We never actually take and apply and evaluate and flush out what that means to change in our life. And so Psalm 42, today we're going to talk about which soul are you? Which soul are you? So basically trying to identify where am I at? Do I have, how do I feel? How, do I, how can I take this and apply it to my heart and life? And then we'll actually close next week with one more lesson of is it well with your soul? How can you check up on yourself? How can you evaluate yourself? Are you where you need to be spiritually? And um, I guess if there's anything that can just become so disheartening in Christianity, it is this, is that it seems like that at times when you feel the need to push the strongest and push the closest to God, it almost seems like Satan always has that firefighter that's there with you. Um, That at the point to where maybe the embers of revival start to burn in your heart and your life, there's always going to be someone there to help squelch it. And so let me just encourage you with this. Last week, and really two, three weeks ago, we talked about relationships. We talked about how that they can be a positive, how that they can be a negative when it comes to checking the wellness of your soul. Did you know that when we talk about revival, that revival is not always a, um, uh, I wanted to say herd thing, but that's because I had herd immunity on my mind. So that has nothing to do, but it's not always a um, group effort. Um, we lay it out as, as a theme for the church because we want our church to have it and experiencing it, experiencing it, but it's not a collect, It's not always collective. Um, we pray about it for our country. Lord, send revival to our country. When you actually look at revival, did you know that you can experiencing it, experience it without waiting on, wait on? Goodness gracious! I'm adding ing to like every word. It's like I had a stroke all of a sudden. Okay, let me catch my bearings for just a second. Okay, let me check my. Uh, whatever. I was gonna say let me catch my bear for just a second, and try to take it away, but my brain wouldn't even kick in. All right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what was I even talking about? Oh. <laughs> You can experience revival without waiting on everyone else to experience it. We just need to read the Bible. Experience it. You can can have that. Sometimes I think that we like to, my wife and I actually were talking about this. We're talking about revival as a church and how much that just everybody, oh, yes, we need revival. Like, we need it as a country. And as Christians, we almost like to act like this. Well, once it starts, I'm happy to get in on it. Like, I don't think anyone's carnal enough to be to step back and say, well, I don't want it or it can't happen. But we also are not spiritual enough to maybe leap out and do it on our own. And here's my challenge to us as a class. Don't wait on the old people to start it. Don't, and that wasn't a knock on old people. Okay, I wasn't, It was just that I'm not in the old person class, so I'm saying everyone outside this class is old people. Some people in this class are old people. Like, I feel old, all right? Don't wait on them. Don't wait on America to start it, okay? Well, all of a sudden, if California breaks out in revival, well, then, yeah, absolutely we're going to get on board with that. If New York breaks out in revival, then, yeah, absolutely we're going to get on board with that. And it's almost like we just step back and wait when here's what my challenge is to you. Why not let it start in your life? And so as we try to evaluate our soul, here's my encouragement. Distance yourself from the firefighters and start a revival within your soul that is not even maybe something that will spread. Focus on you, focus on what God wants you to do. And too many times we look at revival as well when they get that right, then we can start. No, when I get my life right, then it can start in my life. And so, with that in mind, let's look at Psalm chapter number 42. I want us to look at verse number one. The Bible says this, As the heart panteth after the water brooks, so panteth, after, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my meat day and night, while they continually say unto me, Where is thy God? When I remember these things, I pour out my soul in me. For I had gone with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God with the voice of joy and praise with a multitude that kept holy day. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? Why art thou disquieted in me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of thy countenance. He says the same phrase word for word in verse number 11. I want you to go back and look at verse number two. He says this, my soul thirsteth for God, for the living God, When shall I come and appear before God? David got to a point, and I want you to listen to this, to where he desired for God to basically evaluate him. He got to the point to where he wanted to see God face to face. And if there's anything in this life that I think we fear the most, it's death, isn't it? In fact, I would dare say that there are some Christians that because Christianity and the Christian faith offers a hope for eternity and an answer for death, that they accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. But that doesn't mean that they're excited to stand before God. And the truth is, is that if Jesus Christ called the church away right now, There would be some of you that if I could time it, if I knew when it was going to happen and I asked you how many of you are ready to stand before God right now, honestly, there would be a lot of people in this room, in this church who would have to say, not there yet. So what's it going to take to get you there? What's it going to take to allow you to enjoy that with God life that we talked about last week? And so I pray that today, as we evaluate which soul are we, that we can start to prepare ourselves to stand before God. If there's anything that I think we should be doing a better job at right now, it's preparing ourselves for the return of Jesus Christ. Because I don't know about you, and I'm not doom and gloom. I'm not the the guy who's going to stand up and scare you into getting right. Okay, I think there's a better biblical way to do it. But I'm not sure about you, but if 2020 has taught me nothing else, it is this, is that Jesus Christ is coming back, and it could be very soon. So let's don't waste our days here. Let's don't waste our life here. Let's begin to invest in what we will want to have and want to be able to say when we stand before God face to face. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Let's pray. Let's ask God to help us. Before we pray, I want to encourage you with this, okay? Today's lesson is very self-evaluation, self-evaluating. And if you're not careful, you can do what you do most Sundays. Sit there, take it in, fill in your blank, shake your head, maybe even yawn, flip into the Bible, and never once actually take it, internalize it, and let Sunday affect Monday. That's not the point of this. In fact, I think that the church has done that too often. I think we have done that too often. I think I, Joel Norris, has done that too often. And so with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to ask you to just do one thing before I pray. Say, Lord, help me to take the what is taught today and apply it to my heart and apply it to my life. Simple as that. Lord, help me to take what is taught today, apply it to my heart, and apply it to my life. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to stand once again open your word. Lord, I believe that in this room sit some of the best Christians of Franklin Road Baptist Church. But that doesn't mean that we're perfect. And that doesn't mean that we're where we need to be yet. Lord, I thank you that you are a God who we never really get a period on what we do and how close we can get to you. Lord, who you are and what we can learn about you and how you can change our life is deep. And sometimes it seems like we're just content to swim in the shallow end. Never truly, fully immerse ourselves in who you are and what you can do in our lives. And God, I'm thankful for the people in this room that are already the exception to this generation and that they showed up to a church service today. Lord, I believe that they're seeking to follow you. But I pray that you would begin to answer some of the question marks that they may have about Christianity in their lives. That they would begin to see how you can truly change us from the inside out. Not just starting on the outside and working our way back and hoping the inside catches up, but Lord, truly change us from the inside out. God, I ask that you would help me today as I speak. Lord, you know that this is extremely personal in my life, but it's also extremely personal in the lives of the people that I'm about to present it to. And so, God, I ask that you would give me your words. Lord, give me your wisdom. Help me say only that which you would have me to say in your name we pray. Amen. It seems like the word soul has almost made its way back into our vocabulary. Um, it's kind of trendy. Uh, I'll give you my belief on why that is occurring in just a moment. But how many of you have seen um, stuff like, maybe mainly girls, okay, guys, if you're shopping for this, then we'll have a men's session after, okay? But how many of you have seen the shirts that say Restless Soul, and it's in that cool little, like, scripty font? Okay, raise your hand. Two of you, great, all right, thank you. Some of you guys need to get on Etsy or, or whatever, Okay. <laughs> How many of you have seen that? You've seen that, okay. Or maybe you haven't been shopping for it, but you've seen it. All of you are like, you're about to make fun of it. I'm not raising my hand. I'm not saying, okay. We have, we have these shirts, the restless soul, or you see the one that has like the wandering soul and it's got like all the different map things on it. Um, we have a Kia soul, okay, that has nothing to do with anything, all right. Um, but we have this word soul has begun to make its way back into our vocabulary. And in some ways, here's what I think it is, Okay. Um, You'll see sometimes uh, my wife follows all these little mom things and stuff. You'll see tired soul, okay? Um, Normally what we say when we talk about soul is that it is in reference to something that is much deeper than can be verbalized externally, right? When we we get a little t-shirt that says restless soul or wandering soul or whatever, that's normally because there's something deeper going on underneath, isn't it? it's not that we actually are the if we're a restless soul it's not that we're actually sitting in a room and we're twitching and oh my goodness okay that's that's restlessness but that's not what it's talking about okay it's it's internal when we talk about a wandering soul and someone we're not talking about someone who physically might like to travel. We're just talking about someone who, for whatever reason, they can't put roots down. They, they quit jobs every six months. Their resume looks like, uh, looks like you took code and you copied and pasted it because it's 30 pages long, okay? That, that's what we're talking about. That's internal, okay? That manifests itself externally. And here's the reason why I believe that it's been reintroduced into our vocabulary almost in a humanistic, carnal way, is this. Is because deep down, when you look inside yourself, there's a lot of stuff you don't like, isn't there? The, most people, if they're if they're wearing a wandering soul thing, they know that it's probably not normal that they've had 14 jobs before they turn 22. Okay. The, deep down, they know that it's not normal that they've bounced around, or or deep down, they know that it's it's weird that they've dated 37 people. Okay. Some of you are like. I'm only at 32. All right, we're good, okay? They know that's abnormal. And so when we talk about the soul, what we're saying is there's something there, but I'm just going to ignore it. And here's what I want you to see from today's lesson and really from this whole series is that Christianity offers the answers to the deepest part of who we are. In fact, not only does it offer the answers, I firmly believe that it has the power to change who we are at a deep level. Where we fail as Christians is never letting it get to that point. We would rather let Christianity change the way we dress, change the way we talk, change the way what we listen to or what we even maybe watch on TV. We will let it change all of the external things, but Christianity is so much deeper than that. Why could Jesus take 12 people who had never really even, who weren't religious leaders, who were maybe not even spiritual people, if you look at the life of Peter, how could he take 12 people like that and get them to turn the world upside down, be willing to sacrifice themselves and be martyrs? How could he do that unless he changed who they were on the inside? And for us today, here's what I want you to understand. I wish I could go back in every conversation that I've had with someone who is hurting, someone who is confused, someone who is broken, and I wish I could could go back and, and change that conversation and have the conversation that I'm about to have with you today. It's because I want you to see that when you are looking in the mirror and the things that you're seeing in your life, the solution is found in God the solution is found in being able to provide some context to what's going on. And sadly, as I've sat across the table or sat across the, the desk from someone and people, some people even in this class, I've said things like, well, let's pray more or, or let's do this or let's get... And all of those are good things, but those are external fixes. And you try to fix internal things with external focus and eventually you will fail. Eventually you'll become frustrated. But what would the Christian life look like if all of a sudden we begin to fix what was internal so that it began to match what was external? What if we started to focus and fix some of our insecurities? What if we started to focus and fix some of our failures and some of our hurts and some of our pains and began to see how God could change us? So I want to ask you four different types of souls, okay? four different types of souls these are straight out of scripture we're not going to take the time to bounce around all of them in fact i've almost i said that one of the things that i want I tried to do before we started this series was to read every verse in scripture that had the word soul or souls in it so this is categorically speaking this is taking all of them and bringing them together the first one is this are you a saved soul are you a saved soul hebrews 10:39 references that we are of the saving of the soul okay we're for that we believe in that Okay. Now, if I look across the room and I think I know pretty much everyone in here, I think that we would all be able to raise our hand and say, "Yep," this afternoon when we have the invitation in the eleven o'clock service, and it says, "If you're here today and you've bowed your head and you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, would you just show that by a show of hands?" Probably most people in the room. Yeah. Okay. That's great. When we talk about the saving of the soul. We're not just talking about the saving of it internally. And here's what sometimes we're good at. We're good at distinguishing what's going to happen in heaven and what's going to happen here. Meaning that my soul is saved from hell and to heaven, but that doesn't mean that I, don't, I can't fix the things that are down here. I can't change the way that I'm viewing the maybe the pain that's in my life. I can't. I can't change the way that I'm living. Now all of a sudden we're saying, well, this is the heaven Christianity, and then this is the earth Christianity. That's not the Christianity that Jesus described. That that's not the Christianity that personally I want to sell out and and, and follow for the rest of my life. I don't have to wait 70, 80, 90 years, hopefully not 90, heaven day, it'd be 120, all right? I don't have to wait that long for God to begin to change me. And Christianity is something that doesn't just affect your eternity, it affects your reality. If it doesn't, once again, let's shut it down and let's go home. So are you a saved soul? Chances are, If you're here in this room, you are. If you're not, let me encourage you that that is the best decision that you can make in this life, not just for eternity's sake, but for your day-to-day life. So by everyone's profession, we say, I am a saved soul. Let's start to put the wheels back on the wagon. Secondly, not only are you a saved soul, but are you a broken soul? Are you a broken soul? Bear with me for just a second, okay? We're going to talk to you heart to heart. I said that at the beginning of my lesson, I wish I could go back and change some conversations. Most of what we struggle with in this life and in this world is the result of brokenness, either ours or someone else's. It's because of the depravity of man. And there's some of you that, if I, if statistics are true, there's hurt in this room. Brother Bishop, I remember one of the first, one of really the only conversations I ever had with him. After I told him, I said, Brother Bishop, I feel like I'm going to go to college and I'm going to um, try to study for ministry and become a preacher. And uh, I said, do you have any, any advice? And he actually took this advice from, I believe it's from Spurgeon, um, but Brother Bishop, if you know his testimony, he was someone who was, I mean, just a fiery evangelist. Like he was the guy who came in, ripped everyone's lips off, and then left, okay? Um, he that, That's just who he was. He ended up coming down with uh, meningitis, and it affected everything from how he walked, how he talked, to, to now, literally, his messages, if you see him, he stands behind a pulpit. He be, be, very, very rarely takes his eyes off of his notes. Sometimes he can't even see his notes. He talks in in a broken speech because of the way that it affected his brain. And he told me this, and I'm not going to try to imitate him, but he said this. He said, Joel, if you preach to hurting people, you will never lack for people to preach to. And the truth is, is once again, in this room, if statistics hold true, there are people that are hurting. There are people that have been hurt there are people that will experience hurt. And most of the time, hurt does one of two things. It either drives us to the feet of Jesus Christ because we need His help, or it drives us further away. And can I just tell you that when you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, He has a way of taking a broken soul. And I want you to listen to this because sometimes it sounds cliché, And I'm not always sure that it's biblically accurate. We like to say stuff, normally because it rhymes, Jesus can take a broken soul and he can make it whole, okay? I'm not really sure that that's actually what Jesus does. I think that he takes a broken soul and he gives you something in return. I think that he gives you a context for the hurt that you've experienced. I think that he wants to become your strength. I don't think you read the book of Psalms and you read where David bears his heart and his soul and you could say that he takes a broken soul and he makes it whole. I don't know that that's what he did. I think he takes a broken soul and gives it relief. I think he takes a broken soul and he gives it strength. I think he can take a hurt soul soul something that has occurred in your life and instead of you saying well if that's the way that life works then i'm done i think that what he does is he says no let me be your hope in the midst of that one of the things that when we moved into our house that i i always kind of enjoyed but i've really gotten more into is i've started to really like working with wood and one of the things that I, i found is that when i was younger and i would do it i always assumed that i wanted the ones without the knots my grandpa growing up was a carpenter and he had this big workshop. And so if I ever went to help him build something, I would look, because in my mind I saw that as an imperfection. I saw it as something that, that well, that you don't want that there because it's going, to, it, it's going to show and we want everything to be. And sometimes here's what I've had to learn. Sometimes we want our Christian life to be without knots. Sometimes we don't want anyone to know that there's a scuff mark there. Sometimes we don't want anyone to see the filler. You know what I do now when I go to build something, build a table for our back canopy the other day? I actually went and I picked out the things, some of the boards that had knots in them. I found a way to highlight them. I found a way to stain them and to sand them down to where, yeah, they weren't as rough. They they weren't maybe as noticeable, but they were still there and it gave the, the table, what's the trendy word? Character, right? And now we actually go and we buy boards to scuff up, okay? That's the world that we live in now. Like you can YouTube, how do I make this look rustic? How do I give it character? And it's like, just bang it with a chain or whatever. That's the, way, that's the world that we live in now. And sometimes we want this super smooth life and this just everything's perfect, no knots, no blemishes. And here's what I think God does. He doesn't cover those He finds a way to highlight them in a way that gives it character. To now, when someone's going through hurt or someone else is going through pain, you're not sitting there with this perfect, shiny, glossy Christian life to say, well, let me talk to you about hurt. You can dig down deep into that soul and you can say, well, let me reveal a little something to you. Let let me tell you how God took this in my life and changed it. Let me show you what God can do. So are you a saved soul? If you're a saved soul, then chances are that means that you're also a broken soul, but that means that your brokenness can still be used. And then thirdly is this, are you a searching soul? Are you a searching soul? In Psalm 42, what we find is that David compares his soul to an animal that is seeking God. And here's what i found, is that most everyone on this world is a searching soul, okay? Well, you can make a t-shirt and a cool font after that and give me some credit, all right? We are searching souls. But my question for you as a child of God is, what are you searching after? You see, you will search something. You will search for more of something. You'll search for more education. You will search for more success. You'll search for more money. You'll search for maybe more immorality, okay? You'll search for more of this world. You will search for something. And in fact, I think that probably ingrained into us as a society is that we just naturally look for more of anything, right? We think that more of anything is, could never be bad. And so we're searching, But here's the challenge to us. Stop searching and finding fulfillment in what you can gain here and start searching in what will gain you something in heaven. You read Matthew chapter number six, where Jesus talks about how that you can either build your treasure here or you can build your treasure in heaven. And then he says this, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. I used the illustration at the beginning of the lesson that if I knew when Jesus Christ was coming back and I could ask you right before he returned, how many of you are ready? There would probably be some people that wouldn't be able to raise your hand. There would be some people that if they knew when Jesus was coming back, they would be disappointed. Like if we said, hey, Jesus is coming back next Friday. Oh man, are you serious? I was up for a job promotion. I was looking at a new car. I just got approved for a $30,000 loan and I was about to get my, are you serious? Which, by the way, if Jesus is coming back, go in debt. Let someone else pay for it, all right? But you don't know. That's probably a good reason, all right? There would be some of us that would be disappointed. And I want you to listen to this. Sometimes even the way that we talk about heaven, we talk about everything but Jesus, don't we? Like it's almost like that God knew that he wouldn't be enough for Christians in 2020. So what did he have to say? Well, there's streets of gold. And we've been talking about it on Wednesday night and it's been so eye-opening. And I literally had this thought, like when he says the city four square, in my mind, there's this giant skyscraper of heaven of mansions and all this stuff. And it's built on top of, and it's like, oh, that's super cool. But what if heaven was just God? Would you still want to go? Stop searching for something down here to satisfy and start searching for God to be the only fulfillment that you need in this life. And then lastly, is this Are you a satisfied soul? I want you to take your Bibles and turn to Psalm 63. Jordan, if you want to get ready, and we'll be done. Psalm 63. I'm turning there with you. David says this Hear my voice, O God, in my prayer. Preserve my life from fear of the enemy. I'm in the wrong passage. Psalm 60, that was Psalm 64. That's a great verse too. Okay, Psalm 63. O God, thou art my God. Early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee. My flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is to see thy power and thy glory. Verse three. Because thy loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise thee. Thus will I bless thee while I live. I will lift up my hands in thy thy name. My soul shall be satisfied. Are you a satisfied soul? You see, sometimes we're really good at being a broken soul and we're really good at being a searching soul, but very rarely do we get to the point in our Christian lives and even in life in general to where we can say, I am satisfied. David didn't say he was satisfied because he got a pay raise. David didn't say he was satisfied because he got a new chariot. David didn't say he was satisfied because he won a battle. David said he was satisfied because of how good God was. Is that enough? And here's what I want you to see today. Those things that are in your soul that no one else knows about, and chances are, even after today's lesson, you won't talk to anybody about those are there for God to begin to do His work on. Sometimes I think that if life was perfect and life was just hunky-dory and we just got to frolic through the flowers and everything was great, that we wouldn't have a need for God. We could have heaven on earth. And while you may wait on heaven, you don't have to wait on God to work in your life. You don't have to wait on God to change who you are. And so, Jordan, come ahead. And as we pray, I want to ask God to help us. Thanks for listening. If this lesson is helpful to you, feel free to share it with someone else or let us know by emailing us at crosspoint at franklinroad.org. You can also check us out at frbc underscore crosspoint on Instagram and Twitter. We look forward to connecting with you again soon.